Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we understand so well how much we need you. How much, Father, we need to hear your words, to, Father, have your spirit apply them to our hearts. And, Father, to effect real change in us, that we may be your children, that we may be made in the image of your Son. Father, let allow us to come to you humbly today. Allow us, Father, to sit at your feet. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. And uh, I'll read it for you if you'll follow along. It says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, At first glance, when you read this particular passage, I'm sure that there are several thoughts that come to your mind. For example, some of you might say to yourself, well, this isn't my experience. I mean, I live here in Singapore. I live in, you know, other parts of the world, and we've never had any uh, outward or outright persecution. So what are we talking about here? Well, before we dismiss this verse too quickly, let me just bring up some examples to you that uh, I've had given to me over the years. One of those is a Christian is a sole believer in their family. And often this came with harsh emotional and even physical treatment as a result. Wow. Unbelievable when I heard that. And then perhaps there was this story of a Christian student. They're ostracized and criticized by fellow students because they weren't willing to go along with the immoral standard of all their classmates. Wow, just shut down, completely left out. And then there's perhaps this other one. A highly capable, hardworking Christian employee is assigned lesser tasks and assignments, and he's passed over for promotion again and again, not because of his ability, but because of his faith. Because of the standard which he dared to live by, which was God's. Now, you say to yourself, well, <laughs> yeah, that, now you're getting a little closer. Because maybe all of this that we talk about, persecution and things, yeah, it's not the kind that we normally think about. But it does exist. It does exist. So whenever and wherever devoted disciples of Christ choose to be the person God wants them to be, punishment or persecutions of some form is sure to follow. It really doesn't matter which uh, country, which uh, um, time that we live in. This holds true at all times. There's a pattern of persecution that follows believers. So don't fall into the trap of believing, well, just because I live here or because I do this or because I do that, I'm not experiencing any of this. Well, it comes in different forms. As a devoted disciple of Christ, we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared and triumph over ill treatment that comes from following after God. Now, that's why this Matthew chapter 5 And this is so important. This is the last in the series of eight messages on the Beatitudes. And so it comes at a very good time because Christ laid out all of these things. And then he turns around and he says, this is going to be the price of pursuing this way of life. 
In Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 9, Christ teaches that godly character was involved. Such things as uh, uh, setting aside personal pride, mourning over sin, being calm and courageous, hungering after righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, and being a peacemaker. All of these things we've been studying, all of these things we have examined a little more closely and tried to find a way that it would be relevant to each of our lives. I was so gratified when the other day one of the believers here in the church came out the door and just said, you know, I've tried all my life to live according to the things that God has said in this beatitude. And the message today was just an encouragement to me. Could you send me the written outline? (laughs) And I was so shocked. I don't get that request much. And I said, absolutely, I'd be happy to. You see, God has his way of working where he takes his word and it means something to somebody. And that's what we all strive for, don't we? It's not that I impress you. It's that God impresses upon us to be all that he wants us to be. And so all of these things he laid out for us. And what makes it so difficult is that these are in direct contrast to what the world promotes and exalts. I mean, when's the last time you heard the, the world say that, you know, they're really keen on people being merciful? What, what, when's the last time you heard the world exalt some of these other characteristics that were uh, given? You see? And so it's natural that the world will react to this kind of person. And the way it reacts is through persecution. So in verses 10 through 12, Jesus comes and he gives his disciples a response to persecution. When and if it comes, he says, respond this way. Think this way. And so we want to find out what those are. And so, first of all, if you look at verses 10 through 11, every believer must accept the reality of persecution. You accept the reality You know, once we get to the point where we accept something, we can respond to it so much better. You know, sometimes our natural reaction is to deny something. Oh, no, no, it's it's not. uh, That's not my situation. Uh, You know, it's a it's it's a kind of an ancient it's an ancient cure for what ails you. You just deny it's not there. (laughs) But the Bible says we have to get used to the reality that there is persecution. Uh, For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who wrote this? It was written by the Apostle Paul, who experienced persecution with a capital P. (laughs) Okay? And so he knew what he was talking about. He says, if you're going to strive to live for God, just expect that you're going to be persecuted. And so sometimes um, we have to be careful, though, because not all, you know, all ill behavior or ill treatment towards us is a, is a result of persecution. Some of it can be just because of our own faults. And that's why First Peter chapter 4 is so important to us. In First Peter chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. You see? And so what is he saying here? What he's saying here? Look, if we can be accused of something because of our own slacking, because of our own misbehavior, so be it. That's right. We should do that. However, 
If it's because of our faith, that's a different matter altogether. And so we have to be careful. Uh, and persecution is always around us, and we have to be careful to discern uh, ju- uh, just punishment from true persecution. Now, first of all, then, when we understand the reality of persecution, we have to understand the varieties of persecution, okay? So Jesus outlines this for us in this verse. Persecution appear in many different forms and faces. In verse 11, he gives us three different forms of persecution, three different types. The first one is verbal, when men cast insults. Okay, these are abusive words in the face of an opponent. Uh, These are remarks that mock and ridicule us and for your convictions and for your conduct. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever experienced that? Uh, perhaps some of you are into street evangelism and, and you've been part of, a, uh, of, of an effort where you wanted to share a track, a friendly word with somebody. And then you get all kinds of reactions from people. You get all kinds of reactions from people. And sometimes I'll go to places and, and people say, well, what do you do? And I says, well, I'm a pastor. And you can immediately see their body stiffens up, you know, and they look at you. You're one of those, you know. How can you, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then it goes on and on from there, you see. So it could be verbal uh, persecution. It could be physical persecution, okay? Uh, Persecuted commonly means, understanding this word commonly means light to heavy physical abuse and harm that may come. In this region, we hear volumes coming out of certain areas where people are physically abused for their faith, okay? We, we can't turn a blind eye to it and say, well, no, that doesn't happen. No, things happen physically to people. Uh, we know that lately of the news in the Middle East, we know that there are certain uh, groups of people that are especially uh, determined uh, to uh, physically annihilate people who, have something, who believe something different than they do. All right? So it could be physical abuse. But it also can be psychological or uh, emotional. In that phrase, it says, and lied about. And these can be harsh, abusive, slashing comments, oftentimes said behind one's back. You know, I often wonder sometimes in the places I've worked, you know, I've always heard of office politics. And I've heard about what goes on around the water cooler. Or in our case, maybe around the coffee table in the break room. You know, as people get together and they did you see that? Did you hear that? Did you this? Did you hear that? You know, all this kind of, and then when people go out, they kind of look at you funny and they kind of, you know, treat you differently. That can be psychological and emotional abuse. So when Jesus was saying these words, he wasn't trying to hide anything. He says, beware, beware. There are different varieties. This persecution can come in different forms. But Perhaps what is most important to us is what he says in this last part, because you are my followers. And this gives us the causality of persecution, okay? You know, we often take persecution personally, don't we? We, we think it's because people don't like us or, or because people, you know, don't, you know, just there's something about our personality, the way we comb our hair, the way we brush our teeth or something like that, that just does, doesn't appeal to these people. And so we say to ourselves, that's sad. That's sad. They don't appreciate me. They don't this, that, and the other. That is not the cause of persecution. 
That is not the cause of persecution. Okay? He says, because you are my followers. Do you recall what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18 to 22? He said this. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And so, folks, get it out of your head that this is a personal attack. It could be involved in that, but it's not a personal attack. It's because you're following Christ. It's because of what he stands for. That is the cause of this persecution. Persecution is a fact of life for committed Christians coming in many different forms and is the result of, the, of who Christ is and what he did. And so as you begin to face persecution, remember this fact that you must accept the reality of it. But the second thing that's important is that it's the reality of God's promise of, of God's um, uh, rewards for being persecuted. And this is found in verse 10 through 12. And it's found in these three phrases. The first one is found this way. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, what on earth does the kingdom of God mean? When this term is used in the Bible, it has the idea that each believer lives daily in the sphere where God is present and he rules. Okay? No matter what's going on around us, we live under the rule of the Lord and the presence of the Lord. And so that means that we can be in this world, any part of the world. But we are still under the hand and under the, the, the uh, leadership of the Lord. Let me give you an example of this. <clears throat> While on a student mission trip uh, uh, outside the United States, one of our daughters uh, was invited to the U.S. Embassy to celebrate July 4th. Okay? And so here she was in this foreign country, and she went to the embassy compound, and they were celebrating July 4th. And so they shipped in hot dogs and hamburgers and, you know, Coke and all kinds of stuff, and KFC chicken and, and all kinds of stuff, you know, to, to make people feel at home. And so she flashed her passport, U.S. passport, and she goes into the embassy and she's there. And she said, Mom and Dad, she said, this is an unbelievable experience. Here I am right in the middle of this huge country, and I'm in part of America, you know. It was as American as she could be. In the same way, we are, theirs is the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter where we are serving, what we are trying to do for God. We are still living in the sphere of the kingdom of God where he rules. Now, someone says out there, and rightfully so, says, well, what's the big deal about living in the kingdom of God? Now, we don't have time to really develop the whole, the whole teaching on the kingdom of God. But let me just give you... Whet your appetite and just give you a few things. This 
These are the blessings of being in the kingdom of heaven, okay? In the kingdom of heaven. It means that God's purposes are being accomplished, okay? No matter where we're living, no matter under what conditions, we, the kingdom of heaven is ours. So that means God's purposes are being accomplished. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Okay? And so how many people could say that? How many people could say, wow, even though this is happening, even though that is happening, I'm still, God's purposes are being carried out. That's because theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Number two, suffering for the faith is not in vain. Okay? No matter how bad the, the, the suffering may get. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Okay? And so when you're going about living in this world, but in the kingdom of heaven, please know that everything that is going on is not in vain. So many of us think to ourselves, oh, I'm just so tired of talking to my relatives. I'm so tired of talking to my friends about Christ. I'm so tired of doing good works and on and on and on. And no, no, no. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And God has a plan for all of this. And it is not in vain. It will not come to nothing. The third one I'd share with you is God's presence is guaranteed during the persecution. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You see, we sometimes forget that ours is the kingdom of heaven. No matter what's going on around us, no matter where we live, no matter what we're doing, no matter how bad it gets, remember that yours is the kingdom of heaven. And all of these things are happening and God is present with us. With the kingdom of heaven being ours, our vision of God is brightened, our hope deepened, our endurance lengthened, and our courage strengthened. Huh, that's really something. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you would say, deep down in my heart, I am weary. I am tired. I am really uh, discouraged about living the Christian life one more day. It's so easy to just give up. No, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, there's another part, too. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. He says, rejoice and be glad in verse 11 and 12. He says, rejoice and be glad. And he gives us the reasons why. And he's given in the first part, uh, the second part of verse 12. He says, rewards are waiting for your reward in heaven is great. Our rewards following the Lord are not delivered to us here on earth. UPS doesn't come this way. Okay, it doesn't deliver from heaven. It doesn't come here. All right. We have blessings, but we don't have the rewards 
that are yet waiting for us in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, the Lord said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? There are rewards that are waiting. There are rewards that are waiting. And then, secondly, he gives another reason why we should rejoice and be glad. He says, because we are ranked among God's favorite servants. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we are faithful under persecution, we are counted among the best of God's servants. We are counted among the best. We are counted and placed among the scores of faithful men and women who have bravely stood out for God before our time. You know, I don't know how you feel. You know, I, I, was, in, I was in the Army, and many of you are in the NS, and you know you could be a, a regular soldier, and you could be, you know, maybe an infantry and so on and so forth, and that's good. You ought, you ought to serve your country, Okay. But then we also know that there are the special forces guys. There are the, you know, Green Berets. There are the, all these other specialties, commandos, I think you call them here, and, and things like that. Okay? Well, it's like God saying, you are ranked among the commandos. You are ranked among the best of the best. That's your reward. How many of us work all of our lives to be recognized, to be but something to be part of something, be known as the best of the best. And that's what God says here. He says, not only are there rewards waiting for you in heaven, but he says, you will be ranked, you will be recognized as the, among the best of the best. Whoa, whoa. Now that's, that, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. And that's what God is giving to us here. This exposes a real Achilles heel in the in the in many believers today and let me explain this to you okay we live in a society right of instant gratification okay and so what we want is we want it we know what we want we want it now and we want it yesterday (laughs) but we don't want to wait later today we don't want to wait tomorrow or anything like that we want it now right and so we push and push and push and push and push and we want and want and want and want right that's it Jesus comes back to us and he says, you're going to have to wait because your rewards are in heaven. Oh, man. And then Jesus comes back and says, but when you get there, you're going to be ranked among the best of the best. Oh, man. You see, because it's an Achilles heel. It's a weakness in all of us as believers. We want the rewards now. You see? Think of it this way. Think of it this way. How long does an Olympic athlete have to train? To get ready for the games. One year? Oh, let's start. One week? Mm-hmm. No. One year? Mm-hmm. You know? How long does he have? He has to train sometimes three to four years. And sometimes he doesn't even make the cut in his first four years of preparation. He has to wait again for the next cycle to come along. You see? We're in the in life for the instant gratification. And God says, no. He says, wait, wait. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And so that's the perspective that we have to have as we go through these times of persecution. 
Every believer who experiences persecution must keep looking forward, keeping his eyes on the rewards and recognition yet to come. Okay? And if you can keep that in your mind, that'll help you in these times of difficulty. Now, you sat there politely and you've looked at me, you know, very nicely and everything like that. And, but what does this all mean? What are the implications? There are implications calling for action in our life. Okay? Let's call it for what it is. First of all, let's start with the followers of Christ. Let's start with the disciples of Christ. This is a time of self-examination. Life with some persecution demands we re-examine our spiritual lives. Are we, uh, one time I was, uh, um, Howard Hendricks, uh, the great teacher, the great professor at Dallas Seminary, used to love to go down to the break room and he'd meet students and challenge them. There was never a day or a sentence that was never a challenge from that prof Hendricks. And so one time he went up to a student and said, how are you? And the student says, everything is great. It is wonderful. And on and on and on and on. And Prof looked at him and said, not doing much for God, are you? You know? Because Prof knew that if you're doing something for God, you're going to get hammered out there. You see? And so it's a time for self-examination. If any one of us says to ourselves, persecution? No, I don't think I've had any in one week. One month, one year, 10 years. Maybe that's cause for examination. Maybe we aren't living as powerfully for the Lord as we thought we should be, you see. And perhaps sometimes if we are undergoing persecution, we have to examine our lives and see, well, is this self-imposed? Is this something that we're doing that's wrong, that, that, that somehow we're not carrying our, our, our load, our, our pail of water, you know? We're not carrying that. And so people are being rough and tough on us, and rightfully so, perhaps. It's a time for self-examinations. It also is a time for steadfastness. Life with persecution requires steadfastness and trust in God's promises and reliance on his presence. Do we find ourselves compromising or abandoning God's desires for the desires of the world? You see, sometimes we stand out there and we say to ourselves, so easy to give in. Be steadfast, immovable, the verse said that we read earlier. Spiritual growth, spiritual growth. This is for the follower of Christ. He should be striving for spiritual growth. Believers sometimes wonder what it takes for their faith to grow deeper and become more mature. And the natural, the the usual suspects are knowledge. If I just know a little bit more about the Bible, that will put me over the top. Okay, if I just serve a little bit more, that will put me over the top and I will grow. Now, those things will help us grow. There's no doubt about it. Okay, they will help deepen our faith and so on and so forth. But but our faith does not deepen and mature just through the accumulation of knowledge or even service. But also through that, through a measure of hard experiences such as sacrifice and suffering. You see, that's the part of Christianity that a lot of churches don't like to hear. What they want to hear is a lot of Jesus loves me stories. That's what they want to hear. They want to hear things that everything's okay. You know God and God is in control. All true. All true. 
But if you go to people and you say, you know, part of living for God is going to mean some sacrifice. And it's going to mean some suffering. It's going to mean delaying some gratification and so on and so forth. They don't want to hear that. You see, that's our natural, not our natural reaction. First Peter chapter one, verses six and seven explains this. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whoa, (laughs) man, that sounds like a formula for spiritual growth and maturity through trials, through trials, through sacrifice and suffering. So allow grace, God's grace to help you develop godly character through these trials, by these trials, with these trials that come into your life. Okay? And this, you'll find yourself growing by leaps and bounds. Now, for those of you who are, have yet to come to Christ, for whatever reason, there's something for you to take away with yourself, uh, take away from here today. Over the centuries, people have perished for their faith in Christ. This whole business of what's happening in the Middle East is not new. It's happened in other continents. It has happened in other centuries, unfortunately. Okay? And so what has happened here is that um, people are perishing. And today there are many who are suffering and dying for their faith as well. Here's a challenge for you today. Here's a challenge for you. If you've not yet become a a believer in Christ, my prayer is that you'll be so moved that you will openly and closely examine the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? You consider yourself an open-minded person, right? Okay? I mean, most people would say, yeah, I'm open-minded to a point. (laughs) But most people, if you challenge them, says, be open and closely examine the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave for us. Examine that closely. And then openly ask yourself the question. Ask yourself this important question. What is it about Christ that moves people to live for him and more importantly, even die for him? Have you ever wondered why people feel so passionately and so about something that they're willing to Give the ultimate sacrifice. Has that ever occurred to you? That maybe there's something behind all this? That people would rather die than renounce their faith in Jesus Christ? That captures my imagination. That captures my attention. And so openly and then hopefully and prayerfully, humbly accept Christ as your personal Savior. How? By confessing that you are a sinner, that you have broken God's law. You are under a sentence of punishment, eternal separation from God. But you realize that Christ has provided to take that punishment for you, and that if you would just receive and acknowledge his work, and that you would trust the fact that he rose from the grave to prove it all, You can accept Christ as your personal Savior. 
I would call your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And it says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. And I hope that that will be something you will dwell upon to the point that you say, I can no longer resist, and I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. The choice is for you to make and for you to make alone. I, as a pastor, I, as a a, a fellow pilgrim on this earth, I, as a believer in Christ, can't make that decision for you. I can't make it for you. You have to make that decision. And I hope and pray with all my heart that today God would speak to you and you will turn to Christ as your Savior. Every believer must accept the reality of persecution. It's a part of living out our faith here on the earth. Okay? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Every believer must accept the reality of God's rewards if they are to overcome and they are able, if they are to endure persecution for living out their faith on here on earth. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. We read that earlier. And then down later in that verse says, rejoice and be glad. So my heart for you this morning, for every one of you here in this sanctuary today, is that you would be blessed by being the disciple of God wants you to be. By being the disciple God wants you to be. And that involves all of those eight, all of those eight beatitudes that Christ gave to us on the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us a wonderful promise in your word that it would never return to you void. And while that phrase may befuddle some of us because we're not used to the language used there, it basically means that your word will go forth having accomplished what you want it to accomplish. And so we know that it is in your heart that people would respond to the offer of salvation given through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray today that in your special way, you would reach out to that person who has perhaps heard the gospel, the offer of salvation, many times, and to the person who have only heard it just now. Father, may you pull them towards you. May, Father, you woo them towards you. And may all of the things that they have heard be made clear. And, Father, they can see how much you love them and how much you want them to become, uh, you want them to accept you as their Savior. I don't do this very often, but I'd like to know if there's anybody out there who's in this hunt, who's in the search of examining the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're ever so close, and you want to pursue that, and you want to make a decision for Christ sometime, or maybe you're ready to make it now. Could you just slip your hand up just to let me know, and I will pray for you? Could you just slip your hand up? If that's your situation, 
There's no embarrassment. There's nothing intended here for that other than just to know to pray first. Perhaps there's someone out there who is already a follower of Christ. You've taken time and you've heard the message today. And perhaps God has touched you and impressed you that perhaps you're not living the life that God wants you to live. There hasn't been much sacrifice or suffering. There hasn't been much persecution per se. But you want to change that. You want to change that. And you very much want to be an active witness for our Lord. Would you raise your hand that I could pray for you? Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Father, you, you have seen hands, but more than that, you see hearts. And Father, you know perhaps the turmoil and Father, the great commitments that are being left at the heart's door of your people. We pray, Father, for these precious ones who have indicated today that they want to live committed lives, understanding the reality of persecution and, Father, willing to face it in light of what lies ahead for them in your presence. So, Lord, bless them. And, Father, may these passages that we've discussed today, that we've shared today, may they come to the forefront, comfort them, grace them, and move them even further. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.